1: There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawkes Bay, and I'm Lynn Trafford presenting Hawkes Bay Scientists on Air on behalf of the Hawkes Bay branch of the Royal Society, T.R. Parangi. This programme is your opportunity to meet practising and recently retired scientists from around the Bay. With me in the studio today is Dr Nikki Solomon, the Business Development Manager for the New Zealand Food Innovation Network Hub in Hawke's Bay. Dr. Solomon has qualified and worked in food science, her chosen career, initially as a research scientist, then commercial analyst, project manager, and manager of business development projects. She has also excelled in her chosen sport as a member of the New Zealand National Women's Road Cycling Squad, the team for the Tour de Snowy in Australia, World Cup Rounds 1 and 2 in 22, and the Hewlett-Packard Women's Challenge in the USA. Dr Nikki Solomon is passionate and committed to work in her local community, and I cite Plastic Bag Free Tairaffity, Safe Tairaffity, and other community groups, especially in the Gisborne area. She is now based in Hawke's Bay, a beautiful area in which to be a cyclist, and also perfect for a food scientist. We welcome Dr Nikki Solomon to Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air. Hello Nikki. Good morning, Lynn. Lovely to have you with us today. Now, not a Hawke's Bay girl, unfortunately. Whereabouts were you born? I was born in Auckland. And you went to school up there, did you? Where did you go for primary and intermediate? Uh,
0: Primary school in um, Auckland and in Raitihi, and intermediate in... Auckland and the first year of high school in Auckland and then to Nelson.
1: Then to Nelson so secondary schooling all in Nelson was it? Mostly. Where did you go to school in Nelson? Nayland College. Nayland College all right. Whilst you were at school was there a moment when you actually thought science is a good thing maybe just maybe I can make a career out of it?
0: A a turn-on moment? I don't know that I had a uh, sort of Epiphany like that. Um, I did enjoy and was reasonably good at sort of a broad range of things. Um, I enjoyed science, I think, because it helped um, explain the world, and I and I lived in a household that was sort of interested and curious and inquiring. Um, So I enjoyed science at school. I you know I wouldn't say that I ever thought yes, this is what I want to make my career in, but I, I really, enjoy it. Really, you
1: didn't think that at school? No, no. not
0: really. It was no. um,
1: Just a nice rounded education, but a love of science yeah, somewhere.
0: Yeah, sort of, I think it, it's, it's, it's a curiosity that, that h- helps with an interest in science because it explains it things does, that you're it observing. It goes and, together
1: really, really nicely. When you finished school, off you go to Canterbury,
0: University. What did you go down there to study, Nikki? I did a general science um, sort of first year, so maths, physics, chemistry, English. I think because that was probably my true passion, um, and 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 just sort of started with that general first year cuz because i wasn't sure what i wanted to do no, so
1: that so often happens doesn't it did you enjoy it
0: yes i did enjoy it i was i was you know everybody is very young when they go to university so um i i think i did enjoy um the social life and i was lucky enough to be still um you know not having to pay huge fees and able to balance my social life with my study. Um, so I enjoyed a, a well-rounded first year, let's say.
1: And at some stage then, steered towards honours.
0: Yes, so at the end of that first year, I was invited to um, participate in the honours program in the chemistry department. And so that was seemed like a good thing to say yes to. And so that was how I came to study chemistry.
1: Right. And then you have a period of time overseas which happens to all of us at some stage in our careers we skive off and get to know each other I suppose and get to know ourselves more importantly. Back to New Zealand you come and you join Fonterra. Now for somebody with a food science degree I would imagine that would be a dream job with a dream company. What were you doing in your first job with Fonterra?
0: Well at that point I wasn't actually a food scientist, I was a graduate with an honours degree in chemistry. Um, So I, and it was pre-Fonterra days, it was the New Zealand Dairy Research Institute. So back in the, showing my age, back in the days of the Dairy Board in Wellington and um, the Dairy Research Institute. The New Zealand Cooperative Dairy Company. Yeah, those sorts of entities. <laughs> and um, so the 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 New Zealand Dairy Research Institute in um Palmerston North was really the research um facility for the New Zealand dairy industry, and my job was in product development, I guess developing um, mostly cheese based products, um, flavourings for snack foods and processed cheeses, and um was broader than that, but primarily cheese and it was it was a great 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 place to be as a reasonably young fresh graduate and and
1: encouraging of learning Fonterra or the dairy industry per se in New Zealand has always been encouraging of learning so during this time somebody must have discussed with you the possibility of extending your learning into a PhD
0: did it come from Fonterra or did it come from you to be honest, I can't really remember. I think it probably came from. You're absolutely right that there was constant um, interest in you know developing people, and and as a young person, you were surrounded by you know incredible talent and smarts and people who were really inspiring. I think it probably was sort of that discussion about. You know what? What do you want to do next? And um, it seemed like a good idea to um, to do a PhD and sort of mutually beneficial, I suppose. That's right. Always
1: perfect. What sort of a topic were you going to look at for your PhD, and then what did that lead to for the for the title of your thesis?
0: So, um, because I was working in the um, product development space, one of the challenges when you're developing a product is determining whether people are actually going to like it um very important very important and the tool that that we use in that space is as human beings so trained panelists who are trained to describe accurately and objectively as much as possible how they perceive a food which then gives us data upon which we can Make changes. So you're
1: talking about smell and taste and, and feel? Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. What so it looks like? Yes, yes. The texture, right.
0: flavour, appearance, mm-hmm. aroma. Um, and so it seemed to me it, that's a very um, expensive and time-consuming process, as you can imagine. You have to train the people. Um, you then have this... M- multiple iterations to get to the end point so it seemed to me there might be a way to shortcut that if we could develop a predictive mathematical model that would allow us to gather some data and then make some predictions and maybe skip through a few iterations Um, and so that was sort of the premise uh, and, and you know, we're talking along well, quite a while ago when um, computing power and algorithms weren't quite what they are today. And um, so that was pretty much the idea and the, the thesis. The title of the thesis is An Odour Mixture Model for Cheese Flavour. So because um, flavour, as we describe it, is a combination of odour that we perceive through the nose and taste which we perceive on the tongue and texture, um, it's quite a complex... Combination sort of thing that we perceive as a whole sensation. Uh, So for me, it was really interesting because I'd never studied. Obviously, there's a bit of psychology in there, a bit of physiology and mathematical modelling, none of which I knew anything about. So um, it was really fascinating for me to learn all those new things. And um, I guess the, the thesis tested the possibility that that could work in a simple system that could then be extrapolated into a more you know, real-world complex system. So you enjoyed doing this? I enjoyed doing it. I think, like many people, um, when I came to the point of writing the thesis, you know, that's a bit of a tough... Um, it is tough, isn't it? You've sort it? of yeah. done all the interesting stuff and learnt yeah. everything, and yeah. then you just have to get it down on paper. So I do remember, like many people, that was um, just, a, just a case of persistence and determination. And someone said to me, I had a friend working at the... the same place at the time who had done a thesis not too long ago and he said you just have to write something every day you know even if it's just Just the title of a chapter or draw a graph or write a sentence and I think it's that thing of eating an elephant one bite at a time and for most
1: people it's the hardest part doing all the research collecting the data analyzing it getting all that right is is the fun sexy bit if you like then you've got to actually Put it down.
0: Exactly. And that you have exactly to right. put
1: it down. Okay, so you do the, the PhD, and congratulations on that. And I actually like the topic as well. I think it's an interesting topic, cheese, flavour, taste, smell, all that sort of thing. Really good. You finish your PhD, what happens to you then within Fonterra? How are they going to use you? Because that's what it usually comes down to, isn't it, with a company or an organisation like that?
0: That's right. I guess um, because Fonterra was in its um, formation stage and there were a lot of changes going on, the um, research and development development, Um, I guess, was being integrated into the business more closely. So there were lots of opportunities to do interesting things which were um, peripheral, but having that deep scientific understanding was helpful and then learning all those other skills around the commercial analysis and the project management and so on and so forth. I think probably the process of doing the PhD made me realise that I didn't really want to be a scientist working in a lab. Every day, um, that I enjoyed the discovery and the learning, but um, that I had some other skills that I wanted to um, develop. And it was quite funny, I remember with the panelists that I referred to, you get to know each other. You know, we worked together for several years and you get to know each other and you do some team building sort of things with them. um, And we did one of those little sort of personality surveys and it showed me as being quite strongly interested in people and one of the panelists saying well you seem to have the wrong job Nikki (laughs) so um, I think it was nice to have the opportunity to say you know yes I love science yes I love learning about science but actually I can use my skills in a more broad way and being part of an organization that was developing and changing and and large enough to accommodate um, lots of diverse sort of Interests was was really fortunate. So, um, was
1: there a pet project while you were with Fonterra that you were particularly fond of or pleased with the outcome of?
0: I think the most interesting one, the one I think about a lot, which was the project I was managing when I left, was because I, I think it was ahead of its time. So I think of it a lot now. Um, so it was called Posi Foods, which. Sh- stood for point of sale individualization so the idea was that you could um, go to a booth in Tokyo um, have your retina scanned as you were about to hop on the bullet train after you went to the gym and it would tell you that what you needed nutritionally right now was this smoothie which it would formulate on the spot and deliver to you so um If you think about that being at least 15 years ago, between 15 and 20 years ago, that we were sort of working on that, um, it feels much more likely to be a real thing now. It does, Um, isn't it, really? At the time, it was, yeah, exciting and hugely challenging and lots of intellectual property. What do you do, really. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, ultimately, to my knowledge, wasn't commercialized, but... Um, it was a good idea,
1: and it might still be. This is right. In some way. Yeah, in some way. exactly,
0: like lots of scientific You know, discovery. I like
1: science like that. Yeah. It makes it easy to sell to people when you're trying to turn on young people to science that's the sort of thing you want to tell them isn't
0: it yeah something that could be real and exciting and yeah and you
1: can't help but getting all excited well I (laughs) can't I I should calm down here and get back to the interview all right you spent quite a period of time with Fonterra and then there comes a time for personal growth for for family for children for doing things in a community capacity at a bit of a tangent to science there I suppose and you come back into food science when you joined Pet Food New Zealand in 2017. Pet Food, bit of a leap.
0: Yeah and actually I I did uh, worked for them as a contractor in a more of a project management um, sort of capacity so yeah, probably wasn't even really food. Although it was interesting because I was, t- t- as you say, Lynn, in um, Gisborne doing different things and there wasn't massive amounts of opportunity in the food industry. And then I read in the newspaper um, what Pet Food New Zealand was doing and they were doing some really exciting stuff. And I had no idea that there was a pet food company in New Zealand. So I thought, oh, well, I might just um, email him. So I emailed um, the the then co-owner and just said look you know looks like you're doing interesting stuff i'm interested in interesting stuff and this is my background and if you ever need a hand with anything give me a shout um and so i went and um met him and i clearly remember walking in got you sort of went upstairs and in and being lit dogs leaping all over me and he was this sort of giant of a man um, and so he was looking to develop some at that time they were contract manufacturer and he wanted to develop his own brand so I, I guess it was more of the other skills that I developed at Fonterra that I could bring to that project in a project management kind of coordination role but yeah you're right I had almost forgotten about that little chapter that probably was sort of the segue back into the food industry. I think
1: pet food is is a really interesting subject and just like you were doing with your panel for your PhD I had a cat years ago who was a tasting cat for chef.
0: Oh fantastic.
1: And all these anonymous tins with no labels on just numbers would turn up for the cat to actually try this but what always came in the documentation was that everything had been tasted in a taste trial by humans before they actually went to the cat to just reassure you that there was nothing in there that was going to be damaging to your cat and I always used to think I don't want to be on that tasting panel. Thank <laughs> exactly. you very much. I'll, I'll stick to something that I actually like rather than pet food. Anyway, <laughs> an interesting time for you. Then then another food product, Corson Grain Limited. Tell us about them. Sure, what are they so doing?
0: They um, So they're a really interesting business. They're a very old family-owned business, um, obviously based in Gisborne, and they mill maize in its simplest sense. So they mill maize to make things like polenta, flour, um, the the grits that go in to make cornflakes. So the, it had been a hugely successful Gisborne business, but was kind of falling into that um, commodity space where um, those commodity products, it's a sort of race to the bottom price-wise, really. And so they had realised that they needed to be more innovative and to kind of change the game. Um, so they employed me to... I guess, drive some of those innovative sort of of out-of-the-business-as-usual-space projects. What were they
1: looking for? I mean, Um, they've been around all that time, they've obviously had survived a lot of ups and downs. So to get to this period, 2017, 18, 19, 20, what were they
0: looking to do? So they really wanted to find new products. I guess when you're in a commodity market, you're essentially competing with, you know, different countries around the world tons of mills can make grits for cornflakes also so cornflakes were grits for cornflakes was their core business when cornflakes were huge demand for cornflakes is petering out and has been and so they could see that they needed to essentially bring new products online that that would then be the future, as cornflakes were going to slowly die. Um, and so we were looking at all sorts of sort of specialty flowers because their flowers are gluten free, and demand for gluten free is obviously high and growing. growing yeah. um, specialty flowers with specific viscosity characteristics. They were also looking at. Um, it's a very efficient process actually, milling maize. So they have very little waste. But the byproduct they had was being fed to stock food, which of course is reasonably low value so they're looking at ways that they could add value to that extract more value from that Um, and also opportunities in the kind of Mexican food market because maize is a core um, ingredient in all of those traditional um, masa products and in um, Australasia most of the masa flour is imported so whether there's opportunities to... um, move into that space.
1: So round about this time the family uproots and comes down to become members of the Hawke's Bay community Mm. here based in Havelock North. Your, Your role business development manager with New Zealand Food Innovation Network and specifically in Hawke's Bay in a new hub Here, can you first of all explain for us what is the New Zealand Food Innovation Network, and why do we need such an animal in New Zealand?
0: So the um, the Food Innovation Network has been in. Established about 10 years ago And it's really a sort of an amalgamation Of a bunch of facilities around the country Spread from Auckland right down to I have a colleague in Otago And so there are various facilities Where people can go to develop a new product from an idea essentially into something that can then be exported and earn income for New Zealand. And so while many of us think food is simple because we all eat it and make it, actually developing a food product for commercial sale is really complex because there's all sorts of food safety compliance, there's export compliance, there's lots of things to think about and specialist facilities are often needed. And so as a um, someone with an idea the existence of the Food Innovation Network reduces those barriers so you can A, get help and advice but also utilise equipment that just wouldn't be economical for you to invest in to figure out whether this thing's got legs and for bigger corporates who've got you know massive factories churning out whatever units it might be um, they then have the opportunity to do trials off their own site in a dedicated facility that's not going to interfere with the Production as usual, and um, and and do that innovative exploration that we we need to stay ahead of the game. So my role is a wee bit different from all of my colleagues because we don't have a physical facility here. Um, theoretically, it's a half-time role, and theoretically, it looks after the whole of the lower eastern part of the North Island from Tauranga right down to Wellington. And my job is to work with businesses, large and small. From you know I, I speak to a lot of people who are at that stage, if I make this in my kitchen and all my friends and family love it, um I would like to turn this into a business right through to the big corporates who need to um make a new product or develop a new process. And so my job really is to um, work with them, figure out what it is they need, which might be within the Food Innovation Network, but might also be outside of us. So Callahan Innovation or some funding options or some advice or a contract manufacturer or a consultant, um, whatever it is that they need to kind of overcome the obstacle that they're facing at that moment and um, pursue, you know, proceed on that journey.
1: Off-air I had a look at what it says about this particular organisation on their website and I was interested to see, but not surprised really, that each geographic area in New Zealand has a, a, a different touch to it, a different specialisation. And when you think about it, it's very logical for a small country, Auckland being product development, New Zealand exporting Type orientation, the Waikato being dairy food orientated. And then you go down to, to Palmerston North and they, they're specialising in uh, integrated support for research and development, which you would expect of a university town like Palmerston North, then down to Lincoln, then down to Otago. They're all specialising. It leaves you in a bit of a spot, really, because you're not, are you? Yeah,
0: well, I think it kind of suits me because I am kind of, uh, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. And we we work really well as a sort of collegial network. So there's always someone I can ring or ask or refer someone to. So it, it probably does suit my personality that I like learning about new stuff. I don't, I get a bit, bored with the same old same old so it actually probably is a a dream job for me in many senses
1: the I, i suppose also with all these other hubs i'm going to call them hubs because you're a hub all across new zealand you have got good pathways good direction to send people off onto they don't have to stay isolated with their ideas here in the Bay,
0: Exactly they? and I think to your point Lynn earlier that a country New Zealand's size, we can't actually have specialist facilities in every region we that cannot, duplicate each not. other. It's silly and isn't it's it? Silly. Too so, much money. Yeah and, and these things do cost a lot of money to yeah. run and so I think it's a great model for how we can as a country support that innovation and you know looking at the food industry I feel like it's a really exciting time and you know We've seen through the COVID crisis really that it's been the backbone of our economy um, despite challenges. And I think it's food, at the moment, all of the massive crises we face, food relates to them. You know, how do we feed the burgeoning global population? How do we do that without killing the planet? Um, And how do we manage to do all that, um, you know, sensibly and productively for New Zealand so I think it's a great exciting time for the food industry.
1: Thank you Dr Nikki Solomon, Business Development Manager for the Hawke's Bay Hub of New Zealand Food Innovation Network thank you for being my guest on Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air there's a very comprehensive website please hit it and have a look and see what it is that they really are doing it's all there for you to have a look at similarly to find out about the Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society G.R. Barangi, hit Google. Please join me every Monday morning at 9.30 to meet a practicing or recently retired scientist from around the bay. I'm Lynn Trafford. And there may be many others but they haven't been discovered.
0: This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Cannappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.